Hey everyone, you're listening to The Momentum Project, where Rui Castillo and I, George Berger, discuss strategies to achieve momentum in finance, startups, venture capital, and always contrasting the US with emerging markets and highlighting those differences in order to give you a complete picture of what's going on in the world. If you like discussions on markets, startup ideas, and business trends, you will enjoy this show and hopefully get a ton of value from it. Three, two, one, zero, all engine running. Hey everyone, how's it going? Happy New Year to everyone. How's it going, Rui? Hey George, Happy New Year to everyone, guys. Well, everything is uh, starting pretty smoothly. I mean, after three really tough years, <laughs> you know, sometimes it, it seems safer to have low expectations. <laughs> That's what we're really going to talk about expectations for, for, for 2023. And specifically, we're, we're going to talk about, uh, sort of two things. We're going to talk about the macroeconomic outlook, yep. um, for, for 2023, uh, how long the recession is going to continue, how inflation might develop, etc. So you'll give us like a quick summary and I will talk about how startups should, uh, potentially let's say respond to the current environment in terms of uh, strategy and just simple things that, that you can do in order to maximize the probability of, of survival during the next 12 months. And yes. uh, so that, that, that's what we'll talk about. If you want to, I can kind of like quickly set maybe like the, the stage for you. So the, the way I see it, obviously we've been on a tear or the economy has been on a tear since uh, 2008, right? So um, there's just been good times. And I think most founders... Yes. Most professionals who are, who are maybe in their 20s and 30s have only known good times and extreme economic growth and everything was just always up and to the right. And uh, obviously, I think anyone who was paying attention in 2020 and 2021 was already predicting a bubble. I remember you and I sitting at a, at a lunch at, at a restaurant and we were, talk, we were talking about the probability of a bubble. And this was like uh, yep. maybe like 18 months ago. And... Uh, we were saying like, yeah, it's going to happen pretty, pretty soon. It was really, really obvious to, to me and I think to anyone to see and to call. Governments around the world were, were printing money like crazy. Inflation was kind of like starting to become extremely obvious. Like there was just, it was just very, very apparent. And basically if, 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 if you have inflation, the only tools that, that governments really have in order to combat it is raising rates. If you raise rates, you make growth for companies and, and financing just a lot more tough, a lot more difficult. It creates a lot of friction in, in the capital markets. And that normally then leads to an economic downturn or at least economic downward pressure. So yes. I think um, that's kind of like the setting the stage for, for where we are now. Obviously, sort of last year, people were maybe already predicting that there would be a, a bounce back at the end of uh, 2022, it definitely did not happen. Um, I think things even got worse and we saw a lot of startups shut down at the end of last year. And I think that we're going to see even more startups failing over the next few months, unfortunately, because all the startups that didn't manage to raise any money uh, over the last few months are now going to be facing really, really tough times. So um, uh, that's going to, to create quite some pressure in the economy. And um, yeah, so the, the question here is, are we going to have like a improving situation in 2023 or are we gonna have a double dip recession? How long is the recession going to last? I personally always think it's very, very difficult to predict those things. Uh, and I For think sure. actually no one really knows, uh, but I'd love to love to hear just your, your perspective on how to think about the, the economy because obviously at one point it is going to improve so I think mm -hmm. that that's also kind of like important thing for, for founder psychology to, to understand is that um, just because you currently can get your company funded doesn't mean that you necessarily have a bad, bad business. I think that's something that very, very important to remember that ultimately it's going to get better. But when that moment is going to come, I think that's, that's a challenge. It's, it's always very, very challenging if you're working towards something where you don't really see the end. Like it's, yeah. you don't really know if things are improving or not, and when that moment is going to come. So um, tell, us, tell, tell us what you think about the, the current state of the economy and, and the, the macro outlook for, for the next 12 months, maybe. Awesome. Thank you for the great intro, George. Um, 
Yeah, we, we want to focus uh, today's episode on what founders, you know, like little or small business owners can do to, to, to improve their, um, you know, uh, perspective for, for 2023. So a, a lot of what, what I'm going to say today, it's based on some like perspectives from large banks and large firms. And I, I'd like to start, George, with, I was reading a few days ago, uh, Black Rocks. So BlackRock is basically the largest asset manager in the world. Mm -hmm. Huge uh, company it manages more than a trillion dollars uh, in assets. So it's a, it's, it's a monster, right? So I, I was reading BlackRock's uh, 2023 global outlook and I found some interesting things. First, they, they use this term, um, the great moderation which refers to a four decade period uh, of basically large stable activity uh, in terms of economic activity, of course, and inflation. So yeah, basically for 40 years, the developed world, so that's the US and you know Europe, Japan, Australia, basically experienced like really good economic conditions, a lot of stability and inflation seemed to be really under control, even to the point to George that, uh, like, you know, some economists, uh, some people in governments, finance are like, Hey, inflation, it's not a worry for developed economies anymore. And of course, after all the damage that, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic created to, especially the supply chain side of, of economics, right. You know, basically a lot of production, a lot of factories stopped working. There were like huge logistic problems, you know, uh, cargo ships moving from China to, to the, to America or to Europe had, had some big issues, right? And, and prices started to, to skyrocket. Uh, and if you add that damage to the supply side of economics production, right? Supply side of economics. And you also add the fact that mainly the developed economies. So again, the U S Japan, um, European union, they started to print money to basically uh, low interest rates and facilitate access to fiat currency that really made a perfect mix to, to create an inflation problem. Now inflation is probably the biggest fears for, um, for central banks, because a lot of people say, you know, inflation is probably the worst tax in the long term because inflation basically defined, you know, as a general increase in, in the prices, like the price of a basket of products and services. If that average uh, increase in, in, in the price, it's higher than, you know, the increase in, in salaries, in, in wages, in income, you, you start to have a, a poorer uh, population. And it starts to also damage the, the credit, the, the fixed income and the credit sectors in the long term. So yeah, and consumer and consumer behavior, right? I think oh, that's like the big one, course. right? Like that yeah. uh, consumer spending basically goes down. That's something that yes. we actually haven't even seen yet. So I think that's something yeah. that, that founders should also like founders that are too optimistic at the moment should actually consider that we still haven't seen like a consumer recession, like consumers are still spending. There are some categories that are even growing, like traveling, et cetera. Um, you know, yeah. post COVID, obviously everyone wants to travel a little bit more. So those are categories that are where spending is actually increasing. So we still haven't seen a decline in consumer spending. Once we see a yes. decline in consumer spending, then we're actually going to see how deep the hole actually really yes. is. Right. Yes. So I think that that's something that we should consider. And that probably also means that we are far away from the bottom. I don't know what, what you think about this, but I think that the, the fact that consumer spending hasn't actually really decreased yet. Yes, I, I agree with you. Something which is really funny is that in some, you know, sectors like, uh, tourism, travel consumption is even increasing, right? Some weird effect of, you know, the pandemic, like people staying at home and, and you know, <laughs> people are prioritizing like traveling and moving around compared to, to other uh, expenses. But yeah, like as soon as we start to see um, a decreasing consumption, that's where the real pain starts to, to come through, right? So our recession has been foretold in the last uh, eight to 12 months. 
we know that central banks uh, are on the course um, of over tightening um, their monetary policy. So just to explain what does this mean. So during the 20, you know, when the pandemic started, so 2020 and basically 2021, uh, central banks, especially in the developed world, started to, to do this thing called quantitative easing, right? Like the famous QEs, which in a very simple way, it's like increasing the supply of money, right? So, and, and, and lowering interest rates. So if you have lower interest rates in a country, like the, the, the central bank uh, decreases those, those rates, credit becomes way cheaper. So it's that, that motivates both businesses and, and individuals, people to ask for loans, to, to use credit, to invest, to buy, to have consumption. So that really stimulates the economy. And, and as we explained before, that also pushes for, for higher prices and having problems with the supply side, of course, it, it produced that serious inflation problem that we began to see at the end of 2021 and really clear in 2022. So what central banks are doing now, it's exactly the opposite, right? It's like, okay, it's time to make some quantitative tightening, uh, reduce the, the monetary supply and increase interest rates, increase the, the cost of having credit, the, the credit cost for businesses and people, uh, individuals. Increase. So this starts to, to moderate or reduce the economic uh, activity. Now, this recession or period moving towards a recession, George, has been really different to other uh, recessions in the sense that, for example, the, um, the labor market, you know, the, the level of employment has been really um, resilient. Probably that's, that's the proper word. So um, you, you saw some debate in the US, for example, in 2022, uh, there were, because generally a recession is defined as two or more consecutive quarters of negative uh, GDP growth, right? Mm -hmm. So that's like the book definition. But in reality, uh, a recession considers a lot of factors. Uh, consumption is one of the largest ones or most important ones and the unemployment rate. And both the consumption consumption levels and unemployment rates have been quite, quite good uh, in terms of their, their performance. So yeah, that, 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 that even created like a political debate because, you know, um, some people were saying like, we are, we are already on a recession in the US and, and you know, the, the government was like, no, 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 we have strong uh, employment and, and consumption is it's resilient. Right now, we are definitely seeing a really good case of this is the technology sector in the U.S. and other countries and the, and the real estate sector. Yeah. No, so let uh, me just jump in there real quick, right? So yeah. I, I want to kind of explain why that is so important, why, why employment is also like a kind of like reinforcing factor or unemployment is a reinforcing factor for inflation and for the general state of the economy. Because yeah. obviously for cost of businesses, uh, salaries is like one of the major inputs, right? Yeah. And um, uh, employment and unemployment obviously have a direct impact on salaries. So mm -hmm. that means that, that, that obviously in startups, we've now seen some, some companies starting to implement, like at the Q4 2022, we definitely saw like big tech uh, starting to implement mm -hmm. hiring freezes uh, and then also headcount reduction, right? Like Facebook uh, reduced headcount by like... Um, 10%, uh, if, if I remember yeah. correctly, and uh, Microsoft and Google implemented hiring freezes. And obviously, we also saw a lot of layoffs uh, from, from mm -hmm. smaller startups. So, mm -hmm. but it's been like overall a relatively mild response still in, in terms of the, the labor market overall. But that mm -hmm. is also probably going to pick up, right? Like as, as more startups, as more startups fail, as more companies start to fail, as more companies start to implement even more hiring freezes and headcount reductions, we're going to ultimately mm -hmm. also see some downward pressure on salaries. And mm -hmm. in that mm -hmm. moment, we're yeah. also going to maybe see the end of inflation. Like that is kind of like a precon. I don't know, like, is that a precondition? I think it is to some extent. Like, I think that we will yes. ultimately need to see like uh, some downward pressure on, on salaries because 
You know, you know, if you have like all these like thousands of Google engineers earning three hundred thousand, four hundred thousand dollars a year, yeah, that that kind of leads to the to, to extreme consumer spending, right? And and if we don't have a reduction in consumer spending, we're never going to get rid of inflation. But I don't know if that if if that type of formula really makes sense. I mean, I think you at least need to see some stabilizing force in in in, in the labor market in salaries. So. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I think that the important thing here is that we need to, here's the, the worrying part, right? Central banks will not stop tightening their monetary policy. So this basically means that they will continue to increase the, the interest rate. Until um, inflation but, decreases. Yes, right? yes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I think 2022, like there were like two keywords in, in like the macro or the economic world, which were inflation and, you know, interest rate hikes, right? Like, like the, the, the increasing the interest rates. Um, I think that for 2023, uh, it, it, it's going to be like recession and, and probably also a mix of maybe inflation. And the, the funny thing George, is that there are some analysts and, um, by that, I mean like large banks and, you know, serious, uh, economic, uh, experts and institutions that think that this will be a mild recession. I mean, there are even some, um, some banks that think that the U S could, you know, avoid a recession and, and there are, that's the case with BlackRock, for example, that they, they say like, Hey, there is no doubt that we're heading into a recession. Probably we are already in a recession, Europe is in a recession because Europe had a, a really serious problem last year with the Ukraine-Russia war or the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, the energy prices in Europe skyrocketed and, and, and that really damaged um, the macro environment in Europe. But at, at the end, like, I think it, it, it will depend on how mild or how deep the, the recession is. I think that most analysts now think that this will be more of a mild recession. That's something that I, I found interesting. Okay, and in of terms course, of timeline? In terms of timeline, I think that most of them um, see a more tougher first semester or first six months of 2023, and maybe some improving conditions towards the end of 2023. So, Maybe we will start seeing some growth again or, or, or higher growth in some countries for 2024. Uh, but something really interesting, George, let's remember that sometimes recessions affect differently or in a different way to different sectors or, or industries, right? So we know that this situation with inflation and this uh, economic environment has been damaging strongly, like the tech sector, but mm -hmm. it's not the same situation for like the energy sector, for example. So if you analyze the energy sector, like the low, the, the, sorry, the high oil prices, right, has uh, been benefiting a lot that industry, which is honestly very large, right? It's interesting how how sometimes recessions, like in general, you, you will get like a, a mild recession because in general terms, in average, you decrease in terms of the GDP, your GDP, but some, some industries are much more resilient, right? Of course, this is really obvious, um, like, you know, um, basic consumption and, 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 and um, you know, utilities, energy, those kind of industries, food production, those are really resilient in, in, in these periods. However, and, and this will be the, the important message for, for those founders listening to us, recessions tend to be great thanks for opportunities and to, to look for finding efficiencies in, in your business models and, and anything that could be improved, uh, in your business, in your organization. Like that. And this already happened in 2020, um, maybe the first semester of 2021, certain industries like the service, uh, service industries that were highly affected or damaged by the, by the lockdowns and the pandemic, uh, some, some startups and some companies basically reinvented themselves. Um, just think about Airbnb, you know, the pandemic could potentially wildly damaged, uh, Airbnb. And at the end, they 
they were really smart about how to turn things around and focus. Okay, people are moving from large cities like New York City, LA, London, Paris, to maybe uh, the countryside or smaller cities, and, and we have a product for them. For them. We, we can provide value for for those digital nomads or working from home people. So yeah, like things that, like introducing like things like introducing long term stays, like long term stay options, and um, so I'm kind of familiar with, with Airbnb from the hosting side because my parents-in-law, they, they rent an Airbnb. So I kind of can like uh, see the, the, the back end of, of that operation. And um, for example, they have an Airbnb in a, a kind of sort of countryside town. And mm -hmm. uh, there the searches have gone up like 100% year over year. So there's definitely like more demand and also uh, long-term stays. So like hosts on the Airbnb backend side are, for example, incentivized to offer options for long-term stays so that mm -hmm. you have like specific rates for, for long-term stays, specifically sort of for, for digital nomads or just like traveling yeah. around and like staying somewhere for maybe like a month or two months or three months. So uh, that that's like a sort of a, a, a product extension or like a product iteration that, that Airbnb or a feature, just a feature that Airbnb introduced. And then there are also things like preparing an Airbnb for, for long-term stays, like having a workstation for example, yeah. and things like that, like uh, having like an, maybe like an office space, uh, mm -hmm. a home office space or something like that. So yeah, Airbnb adapted fabulously. And I think that it all seems like pretty obvious to be honest, but considering the size of Airbnb as a company, I think it was like extraordinary. And Franceschi is this one of the best CEOs of, of the decade to respond the way they responded because it's one thing to respond to this as a small startup with like five to 10 employees or even like sub 50, mm -hmm. sub 50 or companies like it's kind of easy to, or like, it's kind of still difficult to turn around the ship, but it's not like impossible. The fact that mm -hmm. Airbnb managed to do it is really quite extraordinary. I think it will become yeah, Harvard. It will definitely become like a Harvard business case study. <laughs> For sure. So, yeah. and, and I think that um, moving forward to, to what, Cool founders to uh, business owners. I think that the story behind how Airbnb turned around the pandemic crisis, it's, it's what we should be aiming, right? And this is more your uh, area of expertise, George, but I, I think that um, something that we are seeing right now with, with large companies, especially in those sectors or industries that are suffering the most is like layoffs. Like, and, and, and it's, I know it's difficult for companies to, 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 you know, um, laying off so much employees because uh, of course, it, it, of course it has like a social cost and, and it's not nice to, to, you know, uh, make like the business headlines just as Amazon did yesterday, but hey, Amazon is, Amazon is laying out 18,000 employees and, and it, 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 it reads quite easily, right? Like, oh, they are laying off 8,000, 8,000 employees, but it's, it's tough. Um, and, and that shows a commitment from the company, from the organization to reduce its costs, to be able to, um, so at the end, it's, it's a, a survival thing, right? Um, we, we need to, to be able to keep the company healthy, financially speaking. So what do you think about that? I think that the first key step to, to be able to overcome a recession is to have a very tight control of costs and everything related to financial statements, budgeting, so that you have the ability to know where to reduce costs in order to keep the company financially healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's obviously pretty obvious advice. And, um, but I kind of want to take a step back and just talk maybe about like a general attitude that you as a founder should take. Yeah. I think the most important thing is to be dynamic in your planning. Yeah. So you have to plan for different scenarios. Like you should have different scenarios in your like Google sheets or in your Excel already like mapped out for how things are going to develop. And probably you have like a, a base case and a bear case, right? And, and maybe a bull case as well. If, if you want to be like super optimistic, you can also have a bull case. I think that you can always adapt your base case. And in case things are going obvious, amazing, you can just, you know, plug in those numbers and and kind of adapt your base case to make it like a, to adapt to that like positive scenario. But I think that's the first thing uh, in terms of founder mentality, you probably need to be able to edit your plans frequently. And when I mean plans, you know, you have plans for hiring, you have 
your, your headcount, you might have to reduce it, you might not have to reduce it. You have to definitely keep a, uh, an eye on your marketing spend. And I think that you should be editing your plans at least on a quarterly basis. That's like the minimum. I personally think that as a founder right now, you should be probably reviewing your plan on a monthly basis, reviewing the results at the end of every month. And especially if you're, let's say, still a small company, if you're like sub 50 person company, I think that you will have to implement monthly adaptation depending on the results that your company has achieved. So I think that's kind of the first advice in terms of like mentality that I would, I would I'd provide. And I'm doing the same, right? Like, so basically be dynamic in how you respond to the current environment. Mm -hmm. And then the, the other point is that you already mentioned finances and, and spending, et cetera. So I think that as a founder, you need to get it like intimately, intimately familiar with your, mm -hmm. with your financial situation, with the financial situation of your company. So definitely you have to review all your expenses every month and you have to, to review and calibrate on, on a monthly basis and always evaluate where you save money. So it's, it's, it's very, very simple. At the end of the month, you basically just see all the, the money that you spend, you then allocate it into, into different buckets. And then you can basically see what we're, what we're spending money on. Honestly, I can already tell you that the highest expense is going to be salaries. That's always yeah. the highest expense. So th that does mean that eventually you have to think about things like reducing headcount, uh, switching to part-time freelance employees if necessary, et cetera, to, to reduce costs. I think that, that that's just something that you'll ultimately have to do. I think last year I was still a bit cautious around doing those things because the environment was still not 100% clear. And I think that there were still a lot of VCs and, and experts, et cetera, maybe saying that, you know, funding is going to improve in, in, in Q4 of 2022 definitely didn't happen. So, mm -hmm. um, I think that there was also like a way to overreact. And yeah. I also think that you shouldn't overreact because that's going to put a dent into, into your growth. So just, just for perspective, yeah. my company had the best quarter in Q Q4 in terms of revenue, like highest revenue Q4 yeah. 2022. If I would have fired half of the company or something like drastic like that, and my company is still sub, sub 50, it's like between like full-time and part-time employees were close to 50. Mm -hmm. If I would have basically taken the decision to reduce the headcount by 20, 30 people or something like that, it would have definitely put a dent in, in our growth, right? So at the same time, I think that I was always very, very responsible in, in how I managed um, hiring, et cetera. And I, I think if you overhired, so this is also like a, a point of view, if you know that as a founder you've already overhired, then you definitely need to reduce headcount as soon as possible in case you, you overhired for in, in your company. So yeah, um, yeah reducing headcount is, is obviously one of the, the clear levers that, that you can pull. And the, the, other, the other advice I would give is just to have high level of, of clarity and to simplify your business. And probably founders already spent the last few weeks, like end of the year planning, et cetera, to think about that. If you haven't simplified and clarified your business and what you actually do, then you really have to do that now. I think that in terms of, of KPIs, revenue is your number one KPI. So I mm -hmm. think that that's yep. the most important thing. And then you can probably boil down the, the business formula to let's say two or three additional KPIs. I think that any business that has that folk, any small company, let's say sub 50 or sub 100 that doesn't have like, that has more than let's say four or five KPIs. I think you're doing something wrong. Like, I think that you can really boil down your revenue formula to, to that. And once you have those KPIs, established with revenue being your, your number one KPI. And then you have, let's say three or four other KPIs that feed into that, that revenue. Yeah. Then you have to basically review the inputs to those KPIs. And that's what you should focus on. And technically you should scratch anything else. Like mm -hmm. you should, you should probably remove any other initiative from, from your strategy. And I would even recommend kind of short-term thinking in order to survive, which, you yeah. know, doesn't sound particularly sexy because everyone wants to say like, you know, you have to implement long-term thinking and, and think what will be this company in, in five years, specifically in startups, it's all about the vision, et cetera. And I agree that, you know, you should have an overarching vision 
that informs like the mission of your company, et cetera. But in mm -hmm. terms of like business models and focusing on KPIs, you definitely want to implement like short-term thinking and basically think about survival. Uh, and once you've done that, once you've reviewed the inputs that produce the results for, for the KPIs that you have established, you have to definitely reallocate resources. Mm -hmm. And that can be like a really, really tough and delicate thing because it might mean that you have to move some of your employees around from different areas. You might have to reduce yeah. headcount, but you might also just reallocate resources. And I think yeah. that reallocating resources is like human resources most of the time is the important task that you need to do. And you need to communicate that. You need to communicate the, the change in mission. You need to, I think, be honest with the employees of what's going on and, and why you're doing those, those, those changes. This might mean that you might scratch certain side projects, et cetera. And that's something that we've done in the company. And it's kind of um, a delicate task, I would say, because you really have to explain your employees, hey, we hired you for this role. Now mm -hmm. you're going to work on something else because we have to focus on revenue and we have to focus on, on those KPIs. And you need to communicate that, that and, and implement those changes. And it's a lot of work as well. Like you, you'll have to reorganize internally and that's going to be a lot of work, but you definitely should do this as soon as possible. Like if, once you've, yeah. once you've like clarified your strategy, change resource allocation to also demonstrate to your employees, the urgency and like. You can't just say, oh, we're going to, to sail into a different direction, but then not adjust the sails and adjust yeah. the, the, the rudder of, of the ship, right? You need to, you need to actually point the ship into a different direction once you've identified that new direction. And then maybe on, on the side, so focus your, your, your resource allocation on, on the most important things. And then maybe on the side, if you still have one or two initiatives that might build long-term advantage, you can still keep those and maintain those but they have to be extremely low cost. So you cannot spend a lot of money on something that might bring long-term benefits, unfortunately. If, unless, you're, you know, unless you have 24 months of, of runway, then you can do these long-term strategies and, and think about the, the long-term, but otherwise, I think the only thing that you can do that might have long-term positive impact should, should not cost a lot of money. So it has to be mm -hmm. something, something low cost. If you want to keep something that like these side initiatives, et cetera. And yeah, I think that's, so that's basically what, what I would do. I don't know if you have any particular questions uh, around those points. No, I, I think those are great and, and really useful for, for founders. Um, from like a more financial background, I always think that the key, the key element for company survival in, in these periods is access to liquidity, right? Uh, cash flow. I mean, you know, I, I remember when I was back at college studying finance, uh, I had a teacher who, who said, just remember that like cash flow for a company, it's basically like, like or liquidity, right? Be, be, being able to turn your assets, having access to cash, uh, to pay like remotely expenses, right? Uh, fixed and variable. It's the same as blood uh, circulating around your body. As soon as you like stop the blood flow, you die. So basically that, that, that's what happens with a company, right? Uh, as soon as you're not able to pay rent, to pay employees or key employees and, and uh, pay your servers, whatever, you die as a company. So one very practical advice. So we are in a new office, for example, and the reason why we mm -hmm. also switched to this new office is because we negotiated a monthly lease. So it's like every month and we can cancel it with like one month of penalty. Cause the, the, awesome. the funny thing is that actually a lot of startups used to die because of real estate obligations, because like yeah. they had to like pay rent for like, and then they were basically saying, well, we have this fixed cost. We're going to run out of money. We still have maybe six months left of, of runway, but we have to shut down the company now in order to make sure that we, you know, still meet our, our obligations in terms of yeah. like fulfilling the, the rent, the, the lease of the office, which is like a, you know, 12 month yeah. lease. And, and if, if we wouldn't fulfill it, it's a very, very high penalty, et cetera. I think one very, very practical thing here that you should do as an, as a, as a startup entrepreneur, if, if you have, if you have an office, which I actually, I recommend it, like, especially in the early mm -hmm. stages negotiate like uh, a month by month contract. I think yeah. that everyone knows what's going on in the economy. And I think that most, most landlords would be, 
would be open to, that's such to, a good to that type of yeah to, to so, that type of structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's important to have some. It, it sounds kind of counter counter to logic, but have some flexibility with your fixed expenses, right? Correct. Uh, or your fixed costs. Uh, that that seems to be really important in this this period. So yeah, how, how can you improve cash flow in in in, in your business, your company? So. Of course, you, you mentioned the key element is revenue. You, you must continue to sell, right? Lowering expenses, trying to, to make your um, contribution margins, your profit margins larger, that's that's key. But also be really careful with, with debt, with credit, right? Uh, high interest uh, loans can be terrible. So for, for those out there who have some sort of business loans, or maybe they took personal loans to help the business. It's really difficult precisely in these kind of times. Maybe you got, you know, a loan or a credit or a mortgage two years ago when interest rates were really low. And if you want to like negotiate again or restructure your loan right now, they will give you a higher interest rate. So that's something that I have been seeing with some clients that they want to restructure their debts, uh, their, their credits, their loans. and. And the banks are saying, hey, like interest rates now are high. But sometimes what you can do is try to increase the, 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 the horizon, the, the, the term, right? the, the number of years that you, you are obligated to pay credit of that loan. So maybe you could keep the same uh, interest rate or a similar interest rate, or, but increase the, the loan term uh, from five years to 10 years. And that will reduce the monthly payment and give you somewhere. So really obvious but, and, and the simple things, but sometimes what I see in, in small companies is that it, it, it's as simple as going to the bank, having that communication, just as George mentioned. So, you know, also trying to, to um, finding ways of make clients that have not paid you, find ways to facilitate that, that those payable, how, how do you call them, George, like payable accounts? Uh, accounts receivables. Yeah, those accounts receivables trying to turn those into cash. And then there are, sometimes you can even sell those, um, those account receivables for a discount to different uh, financial companies that that's their business. They buy, they buy those from you uh, from a discount and then you get some cash. So at the end, it's, it should be a priority to keep a good cash flow, to have liquidity. That's, that's really important. Two other points that I'd like to mention, George, um, and it's just building up on what you said, I think leadership from the CEO of a company, it's, it's crucial. And I think that these are the moments where a strong leadership could make a huge difference, right? So yeah, I think it's, it's we, we see lots of examples, right? You know, CEOs turning down their you know, bonuses or their salary for a year or stuff like that, that tries to, to motivate everyone to make sacrifices let uh, the company survive that specific period. So I think leadership is key. I didn't take a Christmas bonus, but everyone else in the company did. Except, okay, uh, except, uh, except like uh, the three-person leadership team. So like the three leaders uh, of the company didn't take a, didn't take a bonus, <laughs> but everyone else in the company did. Awesome. And, and I think it's really important to communicate that because that does um, have a huge effect in, in like, I think in loyalty and commitment, right? When you see that um, starting from, from leadership, they are making those sacrifices. They are, they are putting down their own personal interest, favoring the company, right? I think that's really important. And, and the other um, aspect, which I think is really interesting is how you can leverage uh, with technology to reduce costs. I think that's also really, really interesting. Um, I have read, uh, again, this is a topic that you know a lot more than me, but I have heard that they say that AI, artificial intelligence, like, will start to skyrocket in 2023 uh, and, of course, the, the following years. So, yeah, I think technology will be a way, way to, to make your company more efficient. I recommend everyone listening today to watch or, or, or listen to our previous episode about goal, goal setting. I think that you... Just as George mentioned, you need to be really dynamic, very flexible, and it's really important to to have this mixture between, you know, a, a smart goal setting system. So it's really specific what you need to achieve to 
survive, but at the same time, trying to find the motivation, kind of more of a big, hairy, audacious goals mm -hmm. uh, system to push for something. It's basically that idea, right? Like, do not uh, just settle with, okay, we get through. Like, maybe you can even think of how could you buy competitors or, or I don't know. There are so many ways that you could try to get out of this recession being a much stronger company. So I think yeah. that's important. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. I, I think in terms of leadership, you have to continue to, to, to communicate the mission of the company in order to keep your employees really, really motivated and uh, yeah. especially in these times of like uncertainty, but at the same time, you know, you do have to think about the survival of the company ultimately. Right. And, and I think that yes. if there's some sacrifices that need to be made in order for the company to survive, you just need to communicate that so that everyone understands what's, what's really happening. I mean, I think, I think we, I, I want to kind of round this off with, with talking about why you need to basically really think about short-term survival and it has to do with the fact that the funding environment continues to be really, really tough. And I'm in touch with a mm -hmm. lot of different founders, so I kind of know what's going on. And um, yeah, it's it's not looking good. It's not looking good. And, and even some of the VCs that I'm in touch with have probably said, or like, you know, send me reports or like do small info sessions. And they basically say that funding is going to be particularly tough over the next six months and maybe summer 23 is going to be kind of an, an a slight improvement in in the funding environment but the problem is here that i think that everyone is particularly bad at predicting <laughs> at predicting sort of the 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 timeline of of this recession and the timeline of how funding is going to improve how funding environments are going to improve and i remember that sort of last summer towards the end of, of the summer of 2022, there were all these memes about, you know, dry powder. And there were this, uh, do, do you know the Spartan meme where the Spartan is like, hold, hold. And yes, like people yes. were saying like, you know, it's like end of summer 2022, there's lots of dry powder and all the VCs are just like holding to then charge and, and start investing after summer 2022. Guess what? That didn't happen. So like people were communicating with these, with these internet memes around how the funding environment is going to improve in, in, in Q4 of 2022 and how there's going to be all this dry powder that VCs have and how that's going to be deployed. And it simply didn't happen. So I think that you as a founder really need to understand this, that funding might not improve over the next six months. And that's why I think that you need to have a scenario. You need to plan for your company not to receive funding during 2023, potentially. I think that, that you, you should, at least in, in your bear case, you should have that, that scenario as well, that you, you, you're not getting funded. And I honestly think that you as a founder should have a plan to become profitable during this year. I, as a founder, have that, and I think it's hugely important. And one interesting way to think about this dry powder situation that exists in, in the funding environment is that LPs actually don't want to have capital calls. So the, the way mm -hmm. this, this actually works is that funds, let's say you have a hundred million dollar fund, that hundred million dollar fund has a hundred million dollars in commitments from limited partners. Doesn't mean that it actually has a hundred million dollars sitting in the bank account. So if you're, if you're a, a startup fund and, and you invest, let's say $500,000 or a million per, per, per startup, you don't actually, and, and let's say you have a hundred million dollar fund. Let's say you announce a hundred million dollar fund. Doesn't mean that you actually have that money in your bank account. And what it does mean is that you have a hundred million dollars in commitments from limited partners. So every time you want to make an investment, you actually have to do something called a capital call. So those limited partners need to send you money every time you request it. And the thing is that these limited partners, so who are those limited partners? Those are big funds. Those are pension funds, those are uh, university endowment funds, et cetera. Like Harvard has, has a multi-billion dollar fund that, that, uh, and, and is a limited partner to, to a lot of startup funds, et cetera. So those limited partners are also, in many cases, rebalancing their books. So they've also suffered because they have a lot of exposure to the public markets, et cetera. And those limited partners are basically communicating to venture capitalists, please, it, like in an informal way, right? Like, because 
technically they have like legal obligation to comply with the capital call, but they're basically getting them on the phone and telling them, please don't call capital for me right now. Like I'm under a lot of financial distress. I'm rebalancing my books and I want you not to call capital for me. That's basically what's happening. And so whilst there is a legal obligation for limited partners to actually comply with capital calls, the VCs also want to maintain strong relationships with these limited partners because they are the ones that are going to fund their fund two, their fund three. So these are really decade long relationships that you as a venture capitalist want to want to maintain and want to want to nourish. And if you ruin your relationship with one of those LPs that are hugely lucrative relationships, potentially, if, if you maintain them over decades, then, then you're basically sort of uh, creating negative scenarios in the, in the long run for, for yourself as, as, as a VC. So that's why all this dry powder is actually just not really going to be invested over the next few months. So that's, that's what, what a lot of founders, I think, didn't understand. And that's basically what's happening. And, and that also means that basically because VCs are doing a lot more due diligence and being a lot more selective in their investments because they have to do less capital calls, it means that there's a lot more competition for capital and that only the best deals are going to get funded. And it also means that, so this means that obviously there's going to be lower valuations and that there's going to be a lot of inside rounds. So that funds are not going to invest in new companies. They're going to invest in companies that they've already invested in. So those are the two dynamics. And so I think that's the current funding environment. And I think it's very, very important that founders understand that. And then the last thing is also like a readjustment of valuations, right? During the last five years, we saw this extreme increase in, in valuations where some companies were raising $10 million dollars at a $50 million seed round with like a PowerPoint presentation <laughs> or with like a product idea or with like a minimum viable product with like a few hundred users, no, no revenue, nothing, right? Just like basically raising at really ridiculous uh, valuations. And there was a really good blog post by Brad Felt who basically said that the new normal is going to look more like funding in, in 2015. So there we, we had seed rounds that were at around five, five to 10 million. If I, if I recall the numbers correctly, a series A round would be 15 million. And then a, a series B would be anywhere from, from 25 to 50 million, you know? So that, that's probably going to be the valuations of, of, of startups moving, moving forward. Obviously always depends how good your business model is, how much revenue you're generating, et cetera. So there's a lot of variation in, in terms of, of how those valuations can, can manifest themselves, depending on, on, on how, how good your, your company is doing and how much revenue you're, you're generating, what your gross, gross margins is, is et cetera, and how well you communicate the, the mission, the vision, how, how big your startup can ultimately get, et cetera. Those are all variables that, that also influence the, the valuation. Also you as the founder, the team, those are all, all additional variables that can Im impact, impact valuations. But I think one advice that founders should definitely take is just, you know, readjust your expectations in terms of what the valuation of your company is going to be. So I think that's, that's kind of my last, last comment on, on the current environment. And maybe one, one final thought here is that this is not necessarily a bad thing. I think that this is going to like produce much stronger startups. I think obviously, you know, in within artificial intelligence, we are already seeing like a lot of companies that are generating value that have very, very strong business models and solving real problems. So I think the, the, the one positive thing here is that we're going to see a lot of startups that are solving real problems. And I think that that's something that everyone should actually get, get excited about. I think if, if, if you think about, you know, the last economic crisis, 2008, uh, around that time, we had the launch of some of the biggest companies uh, in, in the world yeah. today, Uber. Yep. Airbnb, etc., And just to put this also into perspective, I read that Airbnb raised their seed round at something like $3.5 million. You know, I think that they raised like half a million dollars at 3.5, you know, and now you as a founder, you're going to raise at like five to 10 million. So 
you know, I, I don't think that the valuation is necessarily something that sh you should feel bad about as a founder. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just like, remember that some of these like amazing companies, you know, raised at, at, at really, really low valuations compared to what we as, as founders and to, to what we in the, the ecosystem have kind of gotten used to. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. If you're working on a really meaningful company that has potential to become huge mm -hmm. and is solving an important problem and offering a better solution to that problem than current solutions, I think that, you know, in the next five to 10 years, your company can become really, really large. And ultimately the valuation that you raised your seed round at is not going to, you know, matter that much. So I think that's maybe one way to also think about the current current environment and and basically just just accept the new normal. Totally agree. I'd like to to, to finish today's episode um, recommending a book. I was thinking about what cool our listeners during reading, and I decided for a book that I read uh, several years ago, which is for some people maybe some a little bit outdated, but I think it's. It's really, really good, uh, especially in these recession times. Um, and it's Lee Ayakokas or Lee Ayakoka autobiography. So he, you know, he was key in making Ford the second largest uh, automaker in the U.S. Some people call him the father of the Mustang. And okay. I think the, the really interesting part uh, is when he entered in conflict with Henry, I think it was Henry Ford III, and he moved to be Chrysler's CEO, and Chrysler was at a really deep crisis when he got there, and, and he was able to turn around the company to be one of the major American governments and, and, and a profitable, successful company. And, and so I think there's a lot of leadership advice there, and, and also um, some lessons related to, to how to run a, a business or a company uh, in, in a period, period of crisis. So, you know, it's like sometimes you want advice from like your grandpa or your grandman. You look like for, for a more traditional way of looking things. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes I think that we, we need a little bit more of that like wisdom, you know, from, from, from experience. And I think that book, that book is, is really really good at that and, and inspires a lot. Uh, great story too. So that's, that's a book that I would definitely recommend. Amazing. We'll put it in the show notes. All right. Yeah. That's it, everyone. Have a good one. Thank you guys. Good luck. Have a happy new year and, and hope you had a fantastic start to 2023. Yeah. Take care, everyone. Take care guys. Thank you. Bye.